Hey y'all, welcome to Holy Coitus, a community of hosts, H-E-A-U-X. We are humans who engage in consensual coitus, are kind to ourselves and partners, creative, fully embodied, unapologetic, powerful, and free. My mission is to encourage everybody and everyone to claim or reclaim their sexual agency and voice, regardless of what parts you were born with or changed, where you live, what you did in the past, what you learned in the past, what you plan to do in the future, whether you've had zero sex partners or countless a week, your host story is welcome here. You are welcome here. Hey, hey, y'all. Welcome to my podcast, Holy Coitus, my little corner of the world. My name is Jenea, and I'm so glad that you found me. Uh, You can follow, support my work, and join me on my journey of being a hoe over here in Asia someplace at Holy Coitus, which is A-T-A-U-X-L-Y-C-O-I-T-U-S. Also, um, follow me there to get information and hear the stories of other fellow folks who have shared their journeys on my podcast. Y'all, I am near 30 of these conversations and I am so proud. So today is one that I'm super excited about. Um, Today's guest is His name is Shannon T.L. Kearns, and he is an author and um, co-founder of QueerTheology.com. And y'all, he grew up in um, Christian fundamentalism and then became the first openly trans man ordained to the um, old Catholic priesthood. Uh, He is phenomenal, and he has just finished writing his first book, and he's going to be talking about that. Um, the book is called In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture. In the, our conversation today, he really helps me and also our um, our listeners to really see the Bible, see theology from a different perspective, and I'm so grateful for his work. Follow him at Shannon T.L. Kearns, which is Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-O-N, T as in Tom, L as in Lama, Kearns. K-E-A-R-N-S on Instagram. And you can find and support his work by his book, y'all. Books and writing is so difficult. Go support him and buy his stuff. Tell other people about his work. That's the least that you can do. Um, But follow him on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. Support what people are doing on the the internet. Um, Also... If you yourself are interested in sharing your story towards um, your liberation, your shame-free life, or your therapy journey, purity culture, and how it messed you up, or learning how to date, or becoming sexually active, in a, or um, transforming yourself from a victim to a victor, these are all things that I love to hear about, and my guests, or and also my listeners love to hear about, so... If you have a body and that makes you eligible for joining me on this podcast. So without further ado, y'all enjoy this conversation. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Holy Coitus. This is Jenea, and I have a super great guest. Um... This person I found on the Instagram, just like I found most other people. So welcome. Can you tell us your name and your pronouns, please? Sure. My name is Shannon T.L. Kearns, and my pronouns are he, him, his. Oh, so nice to meet you. So the first question I like to ask people at the beginning is, um, what were the initial messages that you received about your body, sex, um, and sexuality? What were some, then also like who taught you these things? What did you learn? Yeah, so all of the messages that I received around sex were basically don't do it um, at all, ever, <laughs> until you're married, um, right? And and heterosexually, monogamously married. Um, yes. I And I, I received those messages at home. I received them in my conservative evangelical church. Messages about body were more complicated. Um, I'm trans, and so I got a lot of messages about female bodies. 
mm. which are, you know, you have to be super modest and it's your responsibility not to make men stumble with your body. Um, and also that like bodies kind of in general are bad, but spirit is good. And mm. so for me, as someone who like didn't feel great in my body, I was like, oh, awesome. That just means I'm extra holy because mm. I'm spending all of this time focusing on the spirit and ignoring my body. Um, and again, got those messages both at home and in, in church. And it's funny because I grew up in the 80s and 90s in evangelical culture in a rural community. So didn't have access to the internet, didn't really have, we had mm. like three TV channels. Um, mm. So I didn't actually get a lot of messages about sexuality other than don't have sex. It was right. like, everyone grows up to be straight and everyone gets heterosexually monogamously married um i don't remember really hearing like gay people are bad until ellen came out and that was when i was like 16 or 17 um yes. and so so i don't remember a lot of anti-gay messages but lots of like anti-sex and anti-body yeah i remember when ellen came out and it was it, I think it was one of the first earth shatterings of evangelical church. Like they were like, how in the world can this be okay? And people were very sad. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, like when you were, what was happening in your mind? Can you talk about some like specific examples of like where your mind went when you were sitting and listening to these anti-sex messages? Like you talked about like that, it is, um, you know, there was a separation between body and spirit. So, like, in your mind, can you give us an example of, like, what happened in your brain when you heard this and what conclusions did you come to? Yeah, you know, I think as I was growing up, I wasn't super interested in sex, um, mostly because, I A, I didn't really understand it. I was like, homeschool I went to Christian school and then homes mm. and then I was homeschooled so all of my sex ed came from youth group which yeah. means that like I had no sex ed so like I didn't <laughs> understand anything about sex yeah um I like had this like faint notion of like I think this is what happens that does not sound fun mm. or appealing mm. um and I think also by the time that I was like coming to terms with maybe wanting to date I was also realizing that I wasn't super interested in boys and I didn't have any language around queerness. So I didn't think to myself like, Oh, maybe I might be gay. I just thought I'm super pure and modest and mm. like really invested in purity culture. I don't mm. want to date boys. Like it never dawned on me that like, maybe the reason you don't want to <laughs> date anyone is because you're not attracted to these people. Right. Um, and so, so there wasn't, just like, I don't remember feeling like, oh, I can't do this thing that I want to do. For me in high school in particular, it was like, I just, I don't want to have sex. So like, can we please stop talking about it mm -hmm. and like go play games or mm -hmm. read the Bible more? Um, and like, I didn't understand my friends who really wanted to date. Um, and I think all of that is really because like, I didn't have any language to name my own desires. I didn't have an understanding of what it felt like to right. want to be with someone. I did know that like, I wanted to be close to my female friends. I wanted to like cuddle with them or hold their hands. But I really, but I didn't think of that as romantic. I thought like everyone does that. Mm -hmm. I just want to be close with my friends mm -hmm. um and so there, there was a long time where I was like I don't I don't really know what's happening in my body I, I don't really know how to how to wrestle with these messages I'm getting because they seem really disconnected from what I'm being told like everyone wants sex and I'm like nah, I, don't, I don't really know that I do yeah. um but again because I had like no language to actually describe what I did want right so I'm curious like um so we're at like youth group time um, and you're recognizing that there's a separation between the folks that are like hyper interested in dating and then you're just on the side like, nah. So I don't know what direction you want to go in the conversation, but first is like, when did, when, when was like the final nail in the coffin for you to be like, okay, I need to go explore this. That could be one direction of the conversation. Second option is like, 
Um, where did you get this language from? Because you said that you don't, you at that time you didn't have the language. So where did you start to do the research? Yeah, so I started, um, I started to realize that I liked girls um, towards the end of high school and into college. And, and at that point, the language that I was then given was that I was quote unquote struggling with homosexuality, Mm. right? Like that's how I had to phrase it. You couldn't just say you were gay. Um, you couldn't even say you were gay and celibate at this point. He was like, you had to use this phrase struggling with homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I spent, and I went to an evangelical Christian college. So like, again, Lots Mm. of purity culture messages, lots of anti-body messages, Mm. lots of anti-sex messages. Um, And spent a lot of time in college kind of grappling with, like, what is my faith now? Um, So it wasn't just around sex and sexuality. It was around all of these things that I had been taught growing up of of really starting to question, like, what is it that I believe? I started to have some questions that I'm not not getting answered in my theology classes my theology professors are like, ah, you're asking some things that you shouldn't be asking. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'm just going to keep asking questions. So y'all better like figure that out. That's great. Um, <laughs> and did a lot of that kind of grappling. And I think by the end of college, I had realized like, oh, this struggle of mine is not going away. That like, I can't pray it away. That no amount of well-wishing good thoughts, prayers, Mm -hmm. therapy is going to make this go. So I have to figure out how to live with it. Um, And so my first thought was like, well, I'm just going to be celibate forever. And that'll Mm -hmm. be, that'll do it. Um, Still had no language around gender. Even though if you look at pictures of me from the time I was 12, I look like a boy. Like there is no question. Um, Folks look at pictures and they're like, how did no one know? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, you know, I was, (laughs) trying with everything in me to be like, this is who I am. Um, mm-hmm. But like, we didn't, I mean, again, we're now we're in 2002. Mm. Um, the only media that I've seen at this point in my life that doesn't even mention trans as a word, but like talks about it is um, Boys Don't Cry, the film mm. starring Hilary Swank. Mm. Uh, and I remember watching that in my senior year of college. It's this like, it's the true story of Brandon Tina, um, a young man in Nebraska who gets outed in his town and gets brutally assaulted and murdered. Um, and I remember watching that film and then thinking, oh, like there is someone else like me in the world. I'm not alone in this feeling that like something is different about my body. Um, and also if I come out, like what happened to Brandon is going to happen to me. Mm. So like, I can't, I can't do that. Mm. Um, so I kind of like shut that down I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to think about gender anymore. I'm just going to like deal with the sexuality piece. Um, I graduated from college and immediately took a job as an American Baptist youth pastor. And so, and moved back home with my very conservative family. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this American Baptist youth pastor job. I'm not going to be out. I'm not Mm going to date. Like, I'm just going to be me as best I can um, and like not think about this. And of course, the first summer in the youth group, one of the kids comes out and I'm like, oh, "Oh, shit, like, what do do I do? Um, And thankfully, the church and this kid's family was super supportive of him. And so they told me, like, why don't you take him to this gay youth group that's in town? Why don't you take him to Pride? So I'm taking this kid all over the place and. And I'm like connecting to my own community for the first time wow. without being able to say, this is my community. Um, and it was a really beautiful, graceful thing yeah. to allow me to explore um, because this kid had the courage to come out and say who he was. Um, mm. It was towards the end of this three years that I met someone and we started dating and things got complicated really fast because I'm still at this church I am still living at home. Um, so it became like a series of coming comings out. Um, I left my job at the church. I came mm-hmm. out to my mom. It was very complicated. Um, I was still trying to be a good evangelical, even though mm-hmm. gay. So I was like, I'm determined. I'm not going to have sex and I'm not going to move in with you until we get married. And so mm-hmm. we got engaged and married super fast, like met, 
engaged, married, all within a year. Wow. Uh, had to go to Canada to get married. Yep. And um, started having sex, and then and then quickly realized that like, oh, all of these things that I had been told, like sex is really bad until you get married, and then when you get married, it's amazing. It it was com- it was more complicated than that, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like I could talk about it because a I was like not heterosexually married, so already there was all of this pressure on me to like be a good gay Christian. I felt like I felt like it was my responsibility to carry the weight of the entire community, so mm-hmm. I couldn't talk about any problems that we were having. I couldn't um, show that you know that anything was wrong. Uh, and I felt like now we're married, I've got to stay married to you forever, whether this relationship is good or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also didn't have anyone to talk to about sex because most of my friends were still kind of either evangelical or coming out of that world. And so it, they were they were like accepting of me, but talking about sex was a bridge too far. Yeah. So I felt all of the shame around like, here's this thing that I've, I've done all of the things. I, I, I did the purity culture thing. I followed all of the rules. I'm supposed to get this good reward and I'm not getting it. And like, so that must mean I'm doing something wrong. There's something wrong with mm-hmm. me. Um, and so figuring out like body and sex and shame and, and shame around sex and all of that um, was quite a journey. Uh, and then jumping ahead a little bit, I, you know, it took a year off the church uh, while I like got married and figured some stuff out. And then at the end of that still really felt like, I think that there's more for me to do in the church. So I enrolled in seminary. Um, I started going to seminary in my second year of seminary, like between my first and second year, I realized that like this coming out as gay was definitely part of the puzzle for me. I, I felt more like myself, but there was still something around gender and my body that wasn't solved by this first coming out. Right. And I was like, something is still not right and something's got to give. Uh, and someone actually asked, like, do you think you might be trans? And I was like, absolutely not, because I know I know what will happen uh, mm-hmm. and I can't deal with that. But then, like, once that seed was planted, it was like, oh, I got to I got to think about that. So I started reading all of these books and the more books I read, the more I was like, oh, actually, I think this is the thing I think. Like mm-hmm. the the queer thing was fine and that was part of it, but like this gender thing, like this is actually the thing that is um has been has been plaguing me all of this time. So I came out as trans my second year of seminary and transitioned while I was in seminary, which was mostly a good experience. Um but my transition then complicated this relationship that I was in because my partner identified as a lesbian, wanted to be seen as a lesbian. Now here I was looking like a dude. Mm-hmm. Um and so we ended up getting divorced, which like I think was actually the best thing for both of us because we weren't really happy together. But I think neither of us felt like we could admit that. Yeah. Um, and so my transition kind of gave us an easy out. And mm-hmm. then um, we split up. And But like transitioning for me was the moment that I was like, oh, oh, this is what it feels like to have a body. This yeah. is what it feels like to be in your body. This is what it feels like for like head and heart to be connected. Um, and I, so I was expecting that, like, oh, this will be a great, like, physical thing for me. I was not expecting the way that it, like, opened up spirituality for me again and, like, really saved my faith and made my faith deeper and richer in a really beautiful way. And so I'm, like, super grateful for that experience, for the, like, added bonus of that experience. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I am obsessed. Um Okay, so I was trying to like put bookmarks in all my questions. First, let's go back to um, the time when you were with your high school uh, student or the student in your youth group. And you can you talk about like what it was like and the connections that you made um, initially with LGBT, gay, queer Christians as you were walking through? So like... Um, those relationship buildings as you started to explore, like, can you talk a bit more about like that time in your, in your journey? Yes. You know, at that point I still was like the only gay Christian that I knew. I like, I had this vague sense that there were others kind of out there somewhere. Um, but I didn't know any of them. Yeah. And so it was being in this this American Baptist church where I was started to get introduced to folks. And I think that, like, 
the reality is that everyone looked at me and they were like, this person is queer. Like, mm. let's figure out how to get them the help they need. Yes. Like, looking back, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. okay. It, I was not not out, right? <laughs> I just wasn't saying it. I love it. Um, and so the pastor, the pastor, the first pastor that I worked with was phenomenal. And so he would be like, maybe you should read this book. And then mm. I would read it and be like, okay, I, I don't know. And then he'd be like, maybe you should read this book. Um, oh. So he really did a lot of, like, gent- gent- gentle nudging of getting me into some better theology and then started introducing me to folks. And I remember the first time I met gay pastors, I was like, Oh, like this, I didn't know this was a possibility that Mm. you could be out, that you could hold on to your faith, that you could be in ministry. And Mm. that like opened up a whole world to me. I, I still wasn't sure that I could do it, but now seeing someone else do it made a massive difference. And to know the other piece is that, you know, growing up, I had been taught that we were the only ones who believed correctly. Mm-hmm. So any other Christian, Catholic, United Methodist, Lutheran, uh, we had questions about their salvation. Absolutely. And so this idea that there are other people that I'm meeting who clearly have a deep faith who are clearly committed to their Christianity and also have come to a different conclusion was like mind blowing to me because Mm -hmm. that was not allowed in my church. And so all of that started to really open things up for me and, and helped me to see possibilities that I didn't know were there before. Yeah. Okay. Um, next question I have, can you talk a bit about, um, differing theologies? So like, I'm a black woman and I grew up in white evangelical spaces, which is why I'll be in therapy the rest of my life. But um, so when I started to look into black liberation theology, it blew my mind because I was like this. I didn't know that this existed. And I was able to see the world in vastly different ways because I was looking in the lens of a black person in America. So what can the average person um, when they read LGBT theology, queer theology, what what does God look like? What does the world look like from with those with that lens on? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, and I love that question because you know I think I think one of the big turning points for me in my faith was when I started to read theology by non non-majority folks so like reading liberation theology reading black theology reading Mm. feminist theology and then like all of that led me to queer and trans theology and i was like oh shit like this is where the good stuff is like why why has anyone else been doing theology in any other way like this is this is where like this is what breaks open the bible and i think what's so important is that often folks are taught like Black theology is for black people and queer theology is for queer people and feminist theology is for women. Mm. And like they're writing that theology because they can't fit into whatever the dominant culture is. Um, And or they're trying to like make theology say what it is that that they wanted to say. Uh, And so I think it's important to name up front that like Everyone does theology from a particular context. Mm. It's just that white, straight, cis men don't name their context. Mm. They claim that they're just doing theology and everyone else is doing a certain type of identity politics theology. Mm. It's like, no, you're doing white, straight, cis man theology. Yep. <laughs> like, we're, just na- we're just having the honesty to name the, the particular location that we're doing theology from. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and so then the other piece is that, like, every single person can learn from theology by groups that they're not a part of. Like, it opens up space in such an incredible way. Sometimes it's, a, it's an empathy-building space so that you can understand what it looks like to live in someone else's skin and body and, and experience. Um, but sometimes it, it's also a question for your life and body and skin and experience. And I think for, particularly for trans theology, it's, it's really looking at like, what are the binaries that we're living in that are actually not serving any of us? And Mm. what might happen when we explode those binaries? 
looking at God as a binary breaker and Jesus as someone who like shifted through and passed and around binaries. Um, my work has been really focused on looking at where are, what stories in the Bible are bodies really important in and why did we miss that, that those are embodied stories, mm. especially in evangelicalism. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until I transitioned that I was like, oh, bodies are all over the place. And like God caring very deeply about bodies and people in bodies is like all over scripture. Yes. How did I miss that? Mm-hmm. How did I miss that? Um, and so some, so for me, it's going back and being like, what, what was I missing um, when I wasn't reading through this lens? And what I found is that when I, when I share scripture from a trans viewpoint, Um, It's not just trans folks that are like, oh, that was meaningful. It's like straight and cis folks who find resonances in their own story. I talk a lot about scars. I talk a lot about bodies and shame. And like, we all carry those things. And, and my way of talking about it then opens up that conversation for other people. And it becomes this really holy sharing space. And I'm really grateful for that. Oh my gosh, that is fantastic. Um, So... I think now we're at your transition time and um, you being, hang on, my door's open. Just a minute. Okay. Oh, no. So sorry, I have to edit that one. <laughs> oh, God. Like, the whole thing just exploded. Just a second. Ugh. All right. <sighs> It was stressing me out. I don't want roaches coming in my house. China has so many yeah, nasty nope. roaches. All right. Uh, okay, now I'm settled again. <laughs> All right. So um, now we are at um, your transition time um, and being in seminary. Um, so did you, uh, as you were picking the seminary, did you go to one that was gender identity affirming or like did you just land in this one because you said that it wasn't that big of a deal or it wasn't as traumatic as it could have been yeah so i um went to union theological seminary in new york city and i only applied to one seminary Mm. and i had no uh, here's what i know about union it was kind of liberal um, it, was, it was really liberal uh, in my, I was like, I knew it was kind of liberal and I knew it was a little bit close to home. Yeah. Um, so I applied and when I started telling people where I had applied, they started to go, Oh, and I was like, Oh shit, it's a good school. Like I'm never going to get in. I have an evangelical college degree yeah. and my grades were not great at that evangelical college who took <laughs> anyone who breathed. Um, and I got in and I, I still really believe that like United has a, um, or Union has a a quota of like former evangelicals every year that they're like, we got to save this kid. And, like <laughs> we have to accept Aww. at least like three really conservative <laughs> evangelicals and like save them from a life of trauma. Yeah. Um, so I ended up at union, which was incredible. Um, and I, so I was only the second student that I know of who transitioned while in seminary. Mm. So there was a sense of, there was a sense of affirmation, um, but also a sense of, we don't really know what to do with you. Mm. And so I definitely had to advocate for myself. Um, I definitely had to answer a lot of like really dumb questions uh, over and over again. I, but most of the professors really tried to get it right and really were on board and were supportive. Uh, most of the kind of deans and and those folks were also great. I had one really, really transphobic adjunct professor mm. um, who like went on a transphobic rant in class, like knowing that I was in the class. Mm. And thankfully the the teacher assistant um, like came up to me afterwards and she was like, listen, you don't ever have to come back to class again. Like we, I will get you everything that you need in order to finish this class and get credit. And you don't have to come to lectures anymore because this is ridiculous. Um, And so there was, there were like real pockets of support. um, Even as I, I felt a lot of pressure to, to educate folks and, and to educate while I was also still trying to figure things out. Like I, there was no way that I should have been doing 
looking at their housing policies and saying, here's how they could be more trans inclusive. I'm like, I've been out for like five seconds. I, I don't know what you need. Um, so it was this really mixed bag. And also I'm, I'm just very aware that like at any other seminary, there's yeah. a chance that that would have been awful. Uh, and, and this is still, you know, this is 2000 and I was there from 2006 to 2009. So the conversation about trans folks still just wasn't, there wasn't much of one happening um, in the world and definitely not in the church at that point. For sure, for sure. Um, So how did you build community in this space? Like um, as a trans person who was at the beginning of their journey, um, did you say like, did you say, hi, I'm trans, you're trans, can we be friends? Like, is that how it works? Or did you, like, <laughs> go to, like, the other gay person and be like, hey... Because when I was in school, I my school was, like, 3% black, so every time that you found a black person, you're like, we need to be best friends because these white people... So I'm wondering, like, for trans folks, like, what is the... How do you build um, when there are so few? Yeah, I would say in seminary, most of my friends were... Um, other queer students. Mm. Um, I got really lucky in that in my very first year, I started hanging out with two women, um, uh, Reverend Kim Wadashevsky and Reverend Stephanie Kirshner, who the three of us just became this like little pod. Uh, and we could not be more different. Kim is a Unitarian Universalist minister. I'm a former fundamentalist who at that point was still trying to figure out like where I fit in the church world. Mm-hmm. And Stephanie's a Lutheran minister. Uh, <laughs> like we, the three of us could not have been more different. And mm-hmm. somehow we connected um, and they got me through seminary. I mean, the two of them, kind of formed this wall around me and it was like listen no one's gonna come for you without going through us um Uh, and so the three of us really kind of took care of one another mm -hmm. Uh, and then outside of seminary this really beautiful thing was happening in new york at around this time a group of trans men realized that um all of the trans spaces that existed were based on on medical stuff so like you could go to a support group you could go to the trans at at this point it was called the trans health conference in philly which was all like medical stuff there was no space to just hang out and be and so they created this trans masculine community network which was just a group a social group for trans masculine folks um that was not connected to medical to the medical world so they would do barbecues in the park we Mm. would have a weekly dinner night they would sometimes do like a speaker or something um but kind of falling into that group and connecting with them again showed me possibilities it showed me all sorts of different ways of being trans masculine that i didn't know um existed it introduced me to non-binary people for the first time and really helped me to expand my notions of what it meant to be trans while also like connecting me to people that I could hang out with and make jokes with and just be myself with. Um, And in that group, I met someone who had also grown up evangelical. And so like we became friends and had the shared experience and could talk about, Mm. um, you know, pop culture and make jokes that other people got and also talk about like, this is the, this is the trauma of what it was like to grow up in this space and try to figure out families and all of that. And so I'm really grateful um, for that. And I, and I think that like the joy of having been in New York city at that time mm-hmm. is just immeasurable. That wouldn't, those things, those things would not have been possible had I lived somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. Um, can you talk to, and then we'll get into your book and all the nitty gritty things, which is so exciting. Can you talk about, um, like if, if you had the opportunity to talk to someone who is, uh, at different stages of your past life. So like contemplating being like transitioning or wondering like if, if this is even me and then also perhaps the person who is stuck in a rural little town with surrounded by churches everywhere but nobody looks like them and believes in a god that loves them like what would you say to that person yeah i mean i think on the first question um for me for me it was really helpful 
um, to, I, I, I did go to therapy for a couple of months to like get a letter to transition. And, and thankfully again, in New York, that I didn't have to convince that therapist that I was trans. We spent the whole time talking about my mother, which is like what everyone does in therapy, right? <laughs> so, yep. so I felt like it was like this wasn't about gender. This is about like how do I how do I um, deal with my family? Um, and one of the things that that was that came up for me in that therapy is I realized how much my evangelical purity culture um, was impacting how I was thinking about transitioning because I had been so trained to not trust my own body and intuition. Mm. And so this question of, am I trans immediately in all of that? Like, even though I had unpacked my, my fundamentalist theology, all of that trauma about, about any thought, you know, that comes into your head about your body is sin. Anything that you're thinking about that is different than, than your evangelical church is sin. Um, so I re- had to really grapple with, like, can I trust my body? Can I trust my intuition? Can I trust that my body is saying, this is who you are and you need to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a real grappling and un- unraveling um, process. And it was also this sense of, I had been taught to make everyone else happy. The, my church growing up had this acronym. I don't know if other folks did, but <laughs> the, the, the way you found joy is in the word, J-O-Y. You put Jesus first, you put others second, and then you put yourself like way down the line. Of course I did, we, yes. Yeah, so we talked about this all the time. And so I had this real sense of what I want doesn't matter. What I want mm. for myself doesn't matter. What I want is actually... If I want something, that definitely means that God does not want that for me. Mm. Um, and so I had to really unpack that too of like, oh no, actually, actually this, that's, God has given me a desire and placed an identity in me. And it's like my responsibility to live that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I think that like figuring out where voices are coming from, if, if you're in it, if you're in a place of being like, I don't know about this. Um, figuring out like what is really underneath the not knowing. Are you really not sure? Um, or is it that you've got all of these other voices in your head that are telling you that you're not allowed to be sure? Mm. Um, and for me, I, when, I, when I got really still um, and when I like thought about what my life could be, it was like, oh, this is, this is absolutely what I have to do and who I am. Mm. Um, I remember there was a moment when it was just a very, it was a small moment, but it was so distinct where I had the thought, if I lose everything, if my family disowns me, if I can't get ordained, if no church will hire me, I still have to do this. Yeah. And that was the moment when I was like, oh, this is happening. Mm. Like, like whatever, however nervous I am, this is happening. And I will say I was nervous right up until I got my very first shot. And the second I got my first shot, it was like, this is absolutely the right decision. Oh. And I've like never had another moment of doubt, um, which isn't to say that like, I know other trans folks have had moments of doubt and that's okay too. Mm. Um, there's no universal story of transitioning, but for me it was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is it. Um, for the, and for the kid who's living in a rural area, you know, I think in some ways things are so different now than when I was growing up in a rural community because we didn't have the internet. Mm. Like I, there, you couldn't Google anything. There was no YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. There was this idea that like church could be online was like not a thing. And so I think for young folks to figure out um, how to connect to community in a safe way, wherever you are. And that might mean that you don't have a church that's affirming that's near you, but you can watch a church service of an affirming church online and like be active in the comments and connect with people. Right. You can join an online community. Um, you can find other folks and reach out and be like, Hey, this is maybe weird, but like I live in Alabama. I don't know any other trans people. Can I just ask you some questions sometimes? Mm. I, like I have never met a trans adult that wasn't like, absolutely. Yes. Like whatever questions you have, mm. I will answer. Um, and so I think that that's like figuring out how to find community. I think too, like 
you might be surprised at who is in your community that you don't know, um, which is to say, find them safely. Don't be out before you're ready uh, or before it's safe for you, but like start to look for the people that you find affinity with, um, whether they're out or not, mm. and and really protect the people that are 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 showing up for you, right? Mm. Like, I, I think, again, of Kim and Stephanie and how much they showed up for me, even though we didn't share a trans identity, but, like, we we became family and community. And so, like, look for your chosen family where you are. Um, and if you need to get out when you graduate, you can, but also you can stay. Like, I'm, I'm in the process uh, of moving actually back to a rural community because it feels so important for me that trans folks stay, that we have these conversations with people, and that adults are here as a possibility model for mm. other kids. Like, I want, I want kids in this community to look at me and be like, oh, I can grow up and be healthy and whole, um, and I can stay if I want. Um, and that's not for everyone, right? Like, not everyone wants to stay in a rural community. But if you do, like, don't don't feel like you have to leave. Like, that you can mm-hmm. find a home and a place for yourself wherever you want to be. Oh, my gosh. That is fabulous. Okay. <clears throat> so, let's talk about your book and also, like, what is happening for you and your future and all the things. And so... Uh, what what is the book about, and where did it, where did the ideas come from, and all the things? Yes. Yeah. So the book is called "In the Margins: A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture." Uh, it comes out uh, officially August 9th from mm. Urban's Publishing. Although some folks are um, some companies, uh, the big one in particular is shipping early. So if you pre-order, quote unquote pre-order, you might get it in the next three days. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. It's oh, out. Oh, but officially, it comes out August 9th. And the book is um, a hybrid memoir. So it's part memoir, part Bible study. And so in every chapter, I talk about um, different stories from my own life from growing up, uh, it, from college. And then I also retell a Bible story um, and kind of weave my story in with a Bible story and invite then readers to reflect on how both my story and this Bible story might open up things in their story. Mm. Um, And I've been doing this work, this type of work actually since seminary. Um, I took this class in seminary called exegesis for the arts. And so it's like a class where they teach you how to take apart a Bible passage and put it back together so you can preach it often. That's what the art of exegesis is. But in this class, they um, asked us instead of preaching it to create an art project. Mm. Um, And so I, I, for the first time, like looked at the Bible from my own perspective, instead of like being like, what does this text have to teach me? What have I been told about this text? What is the meaning of the text? And instead said like, what is the story here? Like, where do I see resonances uh, in my own story? And so I started looking at the story of uh, Jesus and doubting Thomas uh, and, and scars and bodies and questions. And suddenly I was like, oh, actually like this is, this is a trans story. Like, I'm not saying that Jesus is trans, but like in this story of questions of bodies and scars, I was like, oh, there's like transness all over this. Mm. Um, and when I shared my reflection for the first time, uh, I watched other people be like, oh, like I have, I have scars too. Mm. I understand this question piece. And I was like, oh, there's something here. There's something powerful in what just happened. I want to figure out how to do more of it. And so I started you know, blogging, because blogging was popular <laughs> at this time. <laughs> so did a lot of blogging, did that for years. Um, but had always wanted to write a book and to then had the opportunity of someone connecting me to an editor at Erdman's. And I kind of pitched this idea of part memoir, part looking at these 10 Bible stories. And uh, and I have to give Erdman's a lot of credit. They have never t- published a trans author before um, and that I know of. And... And I think they're taking a risk to publish this book. And so I'm really grateful for their support. And they really were like, write the book that you need to write. Um, and and we'll support you in that. And it's, it's been really great. Oh, my gosh. Um, congratulations. Writing a book is really intense you, and very scary. Yes. Um, and vulnerable. All the verbs and adjectives. Yeah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so 
something you mentioned before, and I want to like circle back to it, is like the the idea of scars and the trans person. Yeah. Um, can you talk a bit more about that? Because I don't quite understand. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so the story that I always talk about um, is uh, Jesus when he appears to the disciples after his resurrection. So, you know, Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected. The disciples are hiding out in a room. Um, and Thomas isn't with them. No one knows where Thomas is. Jesus appears uh, and then disappears. There's a lot of, like, walking through walls, magic-y stuff. Mm-hmm. Thomas comes back from wherever he's been. The disciples are like, we saw Jesus. Thomas is like, I don't believe you. Uh, unless I see, unless I see his scars and put my put my hand in the wound in his side, I won't believe. Jesus appears again. Thomas is there, and they have this kind of really beautiful interaction where Jesus offers to show Thomas his scars. Thomas immediately doesn't need that anymore and believes. And Jesus says, "Blessed are those mm-hmm. you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe." And I was struck by like a couple of things in this passage. One is that um, this idea of believing because you've seen, and and this point when I was first really grappling with this passage it was very early in my transition. So like the second I would come out to someone, it was this litany of questions of like, have you had surgery yet? Um, when are you going to have surgery? Have you told your mom? What did your family think? <laughs> like all of this stuff, and I felt like so exposed, so violated often. Mm. Um, And so like, why can't you just believe that I am who I say I am? Um, And this Jesus and Thomas interaction both like made me really grateful for the people that believed without seeing. Uh, But it also gave me this sense of like, oh, maybe I can be a little bit more gentle with people's questions um, and can find a way to both like answer the question while also saying that's not an appropriate question. Mm-hmm. But the other piece of the story that was mind-blowing to me is, you know, I had really been taught that when we got our resurrected bodies, that they would be perfect, that whatever had been wrong, quote-unquote, wrong with us in life um, would be fixed, that we would have these glorified, amazing bodies, um, and probably that we would also get to fly. I don't I, I maybe made up the flying part. We definitely kid, need to like, fly and have been. Mm. Right? Like, that was the sense of, like, yeah. I'm going to have a perfect body that is, like, everything I ever wanted, and I'm going to get to fly. Yeah. And then we have this Jesus story post-resurrection where Jesus shows up, and these these wounds of trauma, these traumatic wounds, are on his resurrected body. Mm. And I had never, no, I mean, I had heard that story a bajillion times growing up. We talked about Jesus's resurrected body, resurrected experience a million times. And the and I never noticed or never like clocked that it was a discrepancy to talk about perfect resurrected bodies and for Jesus to still have these wounds and scars. Mm. And it made me start to then think about like, is there a different way to think about scars? And for me, it became this meditation on like the process of resurrection doesn't make our scars go away. It Mm. makes our scars holy Mm. and that we can look at the scars that we carry um, for whatever reason, right? For me, it's, I have chest surgery scars for other folks. They have scars that came from abuse or trauma for other folks. They have self injury scars. Mm. Um, And that in the process of healing and resurrection, we can look at those scars and claim them as holy, which doesn't mean that the trauma that we experienced is somehow glossed over. It's, it's not about saying, Oh, everything bad happens for you happened for a reason. Like that is bullshit, bad theology. Mm. So I want to like say underline exclamation point, like that (laughs) is bad theology. But in our process of healing, I think that we have the power then to claim our scars as holy uh, and to find out how to carry them forward in in our continued process of resurrection, and that that is and that resurrection is an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. That it's not just this like once and done moment, but mm-hmm. that it is a journey that we are on. Um, and so, talking about scars has been uh, really important for me, and 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 I think has has opened up a space for non trans folks to like enter into this conversation and be like, oh, I have scars 
both like visible and invisible that I'm carrying that I can resonate with what you're saying in that. Yeah, for sure. That's so beautiful. And then um, can you talk about like <clears throat> the the Christian or the the human person who realizes all of a sudden that God made bodies and that Jesus has a, like that idea of like like bodies are everywhere. Um, I just yelled about like yelled at my therapist about this yesterday, so I want to hear about it because you wrote a book. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that like I I had been so trained in this like body spirit divide, um, and and yet all through scripture there are stories of embodied people and and God having a lot of care for bodies. The the mm-hmm. one that comes to mind first for me is the the story. In Ezekiel 37, um, the story of the field of dry bones, right? Ezekiel is is carried out into the wilderness and he's shown a, a valley of dry bones, which, um, and then God tells Ezekiel or asks him a question, like, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's kind of like, I don't, I don't know, like, you're, <laughs> you're God, you tell me. Um, and God says, speak to the bones. And Ezekiel does. And, um, and this is where, in the story I had been told, like bones came upon bone and all of the like skeletons stood up. Right. And, and if you, if you Google art for Ezekiel 37, that's what you'll see. You will Mm -hmm. see a field of dancing skeletons. Mm -hmm. And so that was how I had always imagined the story ended, but the story keeps going. And not only do the bones reconnect, but then flesh and muscle and sinew come onto the bones and then God breathes life from the four winds back into these bodies. And the whole host of Israel is standing resurrected in a field embodied again. And the the message of this story is like, I'm not going to leave you to die in a strange land. I'm going to bring you home from exile and I'm going to bring you home embodied. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I, again, like reading this as an adult, I was like, what the hell? Like, how had I missed <laughs> this entire story about God saying bodies are really important and we're not going to leave you behind? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just this this moment of how I had been trained to ignore bodies that I stopped at a field of dancing skeletons as if that somehow made more sense than fully human fleshed bodies. Um and then I think you're right. Like the story, all of the stories of Jesus are so embodied. They're so, it's, it's like blood and sweat and mud and spit mm-hmm. and all of this like really tactile, physical things. And even in the resurrection, Jesus is embodied. Um, right. And I think that like we do ourselves a disservice when we, divide the spirit and the body um but for those of us who grew up in in purity culture uh in anti-sex cultures like that work is really hard to to really re-look at both texts and stories but also ourselves as embodied people and that bodies and sexuality and the messiness of sex and the beauty of sex like all of it is holy and good yeah Oh, that's so beautiful. Okay. Um, so can you talk to my uh, people who um, may or may not have a trans connection? Like, okay, I saw a trans person at the grocery store. Or, okay, I have a, a trans friend. I got a cousin. Um, and they don't know how to um, exude kindness in a way that is received by you or they the trans person so like for me as a black woman white people come up to me all the time they're like so i understand that like life is hard for y'all but i don't i don't want to mess this this up so like i don't know what to say and i was like how about you just like pay for my dinner like you could like listen to me as i rant because life is hard like what and how can we um be kind uh what are some tangible ways um to give kindness in a way that is actually kind to yeah. a trans person. Yeah, you know, I I think um it, it's one thing so 
I, I want to name the like seeing a trans person in public where or you think you might have seen a trans person in public that like clocking someone as trans can be actually a really dangerous moment mm-hmm. if they're not out or if they're with someone who they're not out to um and so like in public it's it's just a really like be normal like be nice <laughs> smile um you know i i would say like if you a practice that might be helpful like across the board is to figure out where you use gendered language and to stop using that. So like if you always go up to a table and you're like, hey, ladies, like maybe don't do that anymore. Realizing mm-hmm. that not everyone at the table might identify that way. Figuring out how to say folks or y'all um, instead mm-hmm. of gender terms, I think is a way of like expressing welcome. I think the other piece for me is that I really need and want folks to a realize that almost all of the representations of trans folks that you see in television and movies are really awful. And so like, just because you've seen a movie about a trans person doesn't mean you actually understand trans identity. And in fact, might mean you understand less about trans identity (laughs) than you would have had you not seen that film or TV show. Mm. So like, be aware of that. Um, and and the flip side of that is to then really seek out trans folks talking about their own lives and stories. Um, almost all of the trans folks that we see, um, this is starting to change, but it, not fast enough, but in media are written by non-trans folks and they're played by non-trans folks. And mm. so you've got this, this body of work that is like not actually embodied by the bodies of trans folks um and so i think that that's really tricky and uh and so i'm i'm wanting people to like seek out art that's been made by trans folks to read books that have been written by trans folks there's some really incredible uh both memoirs but also like young adult novels that are just so good um about trans identity or about like supernatural stuff that trans identity is now just a part of like it's the ya space is actually really incredible um, I think in general, like figuring out what you need to do to be supportive of trans folks. And, and that might mean that like you need to vote differently. It might mean that you need to organize in your town. It might mean that the next time someone on the school board gets like ridiculous about trans kids playing sports, you need to come in and say something different. Mm. Um, and that that also means like doing doing your research there is so much misinformation about trans folks right now um purposeful misinformation and especially about trans kids transitioning there are all of these myths that trans children are getting surgeries and medication and it's just not true um the idea of a four-year-old transitioning means that that kid got a haircut and got to shop in and buy a superman t-shirt like that's what transitioning looks like for a four-year-old no one's given that kid surgery no one is putting them on any kind of medication Mm. um but there's this narrative right that like we can't treat trans kids it's like no what that pediatrician is doing is saying no it's okay like you can get that kid a haircut and they can buy a superman shirt um (laughs) and that even even hormone blockers for uh preteens all of the effects of hormone blockers are completely reversible. So Mm. to put a kid on a hormone blocker, all it's doing is delaying puberty. Um, And we put kids on hormone blockers for all sorts of reasons, um, not just trans ones. And so like, again, do your research. Um, and And I say all of that because like the, the reality of being trans in the United States right now in particular, and, and frankly in the UK as well, um, it's really scary. Mm. And it's not just about like you being friendly uh, or asking people's pronouns, although that's important and respecting people's pronouns also important, but it's like, we're in a battle and like, Mm. we need folks, we need more folks on our side because we're a small community. Um, And so we need cis folks to like be figuring out what it looks like to actually stand up for trans folks beyond just being kind or nice, um, but actually with, with action absolutely i'm all about action yes okay um so before we close today um is i have two more questions um the like do you have anything that you forgot to say and you want to say um before we end and then also um is there something that you said 
but you feel as though it's really important and you want to say it one more time? Or did you get everything off mm. your chest and like you're like, I'm good? <laughs> well, I, I do want to say that there is a chapter in the book that I think will be most um, most interesting to your listeners, mm-hmm. which is a chapter on Rahab and sexual outsiders um, and what I learned uh, by studying the story of Rahab more. So Rahab was a sex worker who like looked out for her family um, and it's, it is counted in the lineage of Jesus. It's an incredible story. Um, mm. And I think that like when we talk about ho phase and, and embracing sexuality, like mm-hmm. that Rahab chapter, I think will most appeal to your folks. So I just want to name that story in that chapter. Um, you know, I, I think like, the, the only thing I, that I would want to say again is that Doing theology and engaging with theology from the margins is where the real life is. Mm. Um, And like the sooner you can hook into that and learn more about that, like the sooner your faith will crack wide open. And it's and it's really, really beautiful. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, And oh, one more question. And then my last one. So. But, so sorry, I'm not I'm not apologizing, but um, for people who are like, F this, I'm, I'm tired of the church, like I'm out because of identity challenges. You yourself yeah. have chosen to stay connected. So can you talk to those folks who are like, I don't know, should I stay connected or should I leave? Like, um, can you talk to that person who is vacillating and just hurt and mad and lost? Yes. 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 So part of my work uh, is to help people leave the church and leave it well. Mm. Like I, I, I full, full support of anyone who is like, fuck this, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. Um, I, I think that the, so part of what I'm trying to do is create space for people who do want to stay. And also I realize that some folks, there has been so much harm and trauma caused by the church but they just can't stay that's not healthy for them to stay and it's Mm. not healthy for them to figure out how to create a space to stay that Mm. actually the healthiest thing for them to do is to bag it to leave it entirely Mm. and to find some other spiritual tradition um or create their own that does work for them and give them life and i am like full support of that my big thing though is that like if you're gonna leave you should really leave, like leave it all behind. What I, my, the, the tricky place is where people are kind of leaving, but are still feel really held back by that space. And they can't actually leave to create something new and healthy because Mm. they're still in the trauma space. And so if you're still in that space, it's like, find someone who can help you and support you in like leaving really well. I will say, too, that sometimes folks just need to take a break. Like, and it's okay for you to say, for the next year, I'm just going to, like, not do any of this. Like, I don't want to think about theology. I don't want to think about God. I don't want to go to church. I I just want to, like, give myself space. Um, and, and at the end of that time, maybe I'll want to reengage with church. Maybe I'll be done entirely. I think, like, that is perfectly acceptable and good and healthy to do too. Um, Mm. Often for those of us who are in a process, and this was definitely true for me where I was like, I thought that there might be a faith that I could still inhabit, but I was still really held back and entwined with the faith that I grew up in. And I kept trying to like intellectualize my way from one side to the other and I just was exhausted all the time. And I'm like laying in bed thinking about like, what does salvation mean? What does heaven <laughs> look like? What is the doctrine of whatever? And mm. it was like, just like this, this spinning all the time. And it wasn't until I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like take a year off. I'm going to like go mm. work in a bar. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to read theological books. And in that space, I was then able to be like, oh, okay. I, I don't have to think my way in. I don't have to figure it all out at once. Mm. Um, I can kind of like take my time and breathe and that's okay. Um, and so there are lots of ways to get from here to there and leaving is great. Taking a break is great. Um, staying in it is great. And and it's all about really figuring out 
how can you do that in in a way that gives you life and that is the most healthy for you right oh yes okay for real for real my last question how can we find you support you hire you what are you offering where are you on the internet where's your book all the things Yes. So my book is anywhere books are sold. Um, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's in independent bookstores. Um, so get it, get it wherever books are sold in the margins, a transgender man's journey with scripture. I am on every platform, um, including TikTok, which I don't do very much on TikTok, but TikTok, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram at Shannon TL Kearns. My last name is spelled K-E-A-R-N-S. Uh, and then my website is shannontlkearns.com. And then I'm also one of the co-founders of QueerTheology.com. Um, so we have, we've got that website too. And uh, I do everything from like, I, so I'm a playwright too. So I do everything from playwriting and storytelling workshops to Trans 101 to Introduction to Queer Theology um, to now talking about my book and that kind of stuff and sharing my own story. So like workshops, guest preaching, speaking gigs mm-hmm. i i do all of the things so just reach out um on the website or slide into my dms on one of the channels and uh and we'll go from there oh thank you so much for sharing your story yes this has been thank an you. absolute delight <laughs> okay I it's been talk- really fun yay ah <sighs> shannon thank you so much for sharing your expertise your words, your journey, your thoughts with us on my podcast. I'm so grateful for any person who's a writer because the writing journey is something that is so intimate and so personal and so beautiful. And I'm grateful that um, you have put your thoughts in a book for us to read. I can't wait to dive deep into that. Also, for those of you who have listened to this support 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 y'all writing a book is not easy writing anything is not easy and when you um put your thoughts out there the least that thing the least the easiest thing that somebody can do is share and also buy the book read it and um let others know about about it it's super simple y'all so I will post the book title information on my website and also on my Instagram. And I will link um, all of those things to Shannon's Instagram page so that you can purchase his work. Um, find him at Shannon T.L. Kearns. S-H-A-N-N-O-N. T as in Tom, L as in Lama, Kearns, K-E-A-R-N-S. And then also follow me on Instagram at Holy Coitus, H-E-A-U-X-L-Y-C-O-I-T-U-S. And if you yourself are interested in sharing your journey um, and how you have uh, claimed or reclaimed your sexual agency and your voice, come join the Ho Revolution uh all stories are welcome unless you're like a crazy person or blowing up stuff or being administered to society those folks are not welcome on the podcast but basically everybody else is um so if you are wanting to do so you are welcome to do so anonymously or this may be your time to flaunt yourself it's up to you um, come chat with me and you can be on the interwave, on the interweb, on the radio waves, whatever you call them. All right, y'all. So please be kind to yourself. Drink water, have tons of orgasms, go take naps and do all of the above without saying sorry because you are worth it. Until next time, y'all. Bye bye.